Well, <laughs> I tell you, it's an honor to just be able to be one of the pastors around this place. I'll tell you these two things. One, I promise you, it's an honor I will never fully deserve. But I also promise you it's an honor I'll never take lightly. Amen? There's a deal. God sees a lot differently than we see. And how you see what you know changes what you value. And what you value influences the direction of your life, decisions you make, where you go, what you do. Now, uh, this concept, I, I, I always see it in, in toddlers. I love watching toddlers discover a new food for the first time. You know, there's that moment you put it in front of them and they, and, and, and they just don't trust you. They're like, cool, I, that's fantastic. I don't care what you say. I, I, I don't trust you about this thing, right? I, we had a tradition, my wife Melanie and I, we did this all four of our kids. Every single, uh, on their first birthday, we would take their shirt off, plop them in the high chair, and give them a big old fat piece of chocolate cake. And we're thinking, oh man, he's just gonna go nuts on this. But that's never what happens, right? You guys, you know how this goes. If you got kids or you got nieces and nephews, you know how this goes. How it actually goes is they kind of lean back in the, in the high chair just a little bit and look at it and give you that look like, uh-uh, not gonna have it. And, and you can't blame them. Right, you, you, you can't blame them because they don't know what's on the inside. They, from their perspective, from, from what they can see, what they know, there's no difference between the thing that's sitting in front of them and a pile of dirt with sprinkles on it, which ironically they would shovel into their mouth without hesitation. But with the, with the cupcake or the, the piece of chocolate cake, we're all, we're all sitting back, we're, you know, the cameras are going, and we're saying, come on, kid, come on, this is going to be, just, just trust us on this. Once you get a taste of this, once you taste what's on the inside, it's, it's going to blow your mind, uh, you know, because we see cupcakes differently, right? We, we know something they don't know. We know what's on the inside. We know what's in there. But what they see and what they know, it's limited. So they don't appreciate cupcakes until finally they take that one apprehensive first bite and then the lights come on and they're like, did y'all know about this? What did you, what did you tell? You know, and then they dive in and they demolish the whole thing and they somehow manage to get it in every single bodily crevice possible until they finally just pass out on the tray of the high chair. But here's the deal, from that point on, they've changed. I mean, they will see cupcakes differently. They will value chocolate cake differently and that'll change the way they make decisions in all chocolate cake related circumstances for the rest of their life. What you see affects what you value. I, we, my, my wife, Melanie, and I have some dear friends. We met them in, when we were serving in Burkina Faso, West Africa. They're phenomenal, uh, just amazing missionaries, amazing people. And one of their sons, Daniel, he sees differently. See, Daniel, he's 100% blind in one eye, and he's about 97% blind in the other eye. And when Daniel was about nine years old, I asked him, I said, Daniel, 
what do you like? Tell me what you're into. He said, you know, I like spaghetti. I said, all right, cool. I like a plate of spaghetti as much as the next guy, but I wouldn't have listed it. <laughs> talk, talk to me. What do you love about spaghetti? He says, I love the way it feels. And I said, ah, that makes sense. Because if you can't see your food, how your food feels becomes a lot more important. And I honestly can't think of a cooler feeling food to eat than spaghetti. I said, all right, cool, spaghetti. What else? Tell me what else you like. He says, slow plumps. I don't like fast plumps, I like slow plumps. I said, Daniel, what on earth is a plump? And what does the speed of said plump have to do with anything? He said, you know, at the beginning of Veggie Tales, you know, there's, a, there's the slow plumps. Not in the new Veggie Tales, there's the fast plumps. I don't like the fast plumps, I like the slow plumps. Where he was talking about the tuba at the beginning of the show Veggie Tales. You know the bump, 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 all right? Those are, those are the plumps, you know, and uh, he, uh, Daniel liked the slow ones. Apparently, uh, there was a management change and the good folks over at VeggieTales at a certain point had sped these things up without the consent or approval of Daniel. Big mistake. <laughs> Daniel's just, he ain't got time for fast plumps. He's a slow plump kind of guy. Here's the deal. I, no different than any other God-fearing American kid growing up in the 90s, had watched my fair share of VeggieTales. But not in a million years would I have mentioned plumps, neither slow nor fast, on a list of things I like. Daniel sees differently than I see. So he appreciates what I fail to appreciate. Here's the deal. God sees differently than we see. God appreciates what we don't appreciate. God values what we fail to value. The stuff we're concerned about, God isn't too worried about. But he's after something else. This should really get our attention. Here's why this should get our attention. This is a big deal. Because what we value influences the direction of our lives. Right? How we make decisions, where we go, what we do. Right? And if Therefore, if our values are not aligned with God's values, we will waste our lives chasing after all the wrong goals. And not only that, we'll lead others to do the same. It's a big deal. We got to get this right. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 through 13 is a passage that preaches this truth loud and clear. Before we read it, here's what's going on. At the time, God's people, they had looked around at all the other nations around them and said, man, they've all got kings. They all got these big, tall, handsome, strong dudes as kings. We want a king. We want, one just like, we want a king like them. We want a big, big old, tall, handsome, good-looking king. And, and God says, listen, y'all, you don't need a king. You guys don't even want a king. You, you have me. And trust me, my leadership is way better than any other king on the planet. Trust me on this. But big surprise, they're stubborn. They don't listen to God. They insist. No, we want a king. So God finally says to his, his guy, his prophet Samuel, 
He says, all right. They say, they know so much better than me. Cool. Let them have their way. Give them, give them what they want. Give them a king. And uh, that's, exactly, that's exactly what God does. He gave them a king. And um, he gave them the type of king they wanted. He gave them a type of king that had all the right stuff that you can see with human eyes. They wanted a tall guy, strong, handsome, prominent, someone with pedigree. And God said, all right, Saul, here you go. And Saul fit that description to a T. And from what they could see, Saul was the perfect man for the job. But God sees differently. He sees what's on the inside. Okay? And with Saul, he had a decent run. But character flaws, as they always do, they catch up with you. They will show themselves out. His, with time, Saul's true colors started to show. The, the, the stuff on the inside wasn't right, and it started to blossom. Saul's arrogance, Saul's godlessness, Saul's self-centeredness. They all caught up with him, and Saul crashed, and he hit bottom. And then God says, he's got to go. He's out. And this time, God says, I'm picking the king. This time, he's going to be the kind of king I'm looking for. So he tells Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem. This is uh, 1 Samuel 16, 1. I want you to go to Bethlehem, find a guy named Jesse. He's got a whole bunch of sons. And one of them is the king that I've got picked out. He says, I've provided for myself a king. So Samuel goes to Bethlehem. Uh, Jesse parades his sons in front of Samuel. And that's where we pick up in verse 6. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6. It says, When they came, he looked on Eliab, that's the first son, and thought, Surely the, the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now, he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. For this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Pray with me, church. God, we hear 
the message that this text preaches, that you don't care about all the stuff we care about, but you care about something so much more important. You see us in a way no one else sees us. I pray, Jesus, that by your grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit, that every single heart in here would be exposed to you, transformed, and sent out brand new. In your name, amen. All right, so I want you to, I want you to uh, travel back in time just a little bit. I want you to enter this scene with me. I want you to uh, l- try to live in this world, see the sights, taste the smells a little bit. You got all of Jesse's sons, and they've no doubt heard that Sam the prophet, he's a really important guy, man. They knew he was coming. They got word. He's coming to town, and he's going to pick one of us to be the king of Israel. This is a big deal. So they were no doubt cleaned up, looking sharp, maybe had their uh, uh, armor all polished, maybe their swords were sharpened and they were standing as tall as they could, looking as mighty as possible. And Samuel, he comes to the first one and he's he's not actually too impressed. He's a little impressed, but then he hears the Lord say, nah, I'm gonna pass, that ain't him. He says, next, Samuel looks at the next one. Lord says, uh, no, not him either. Next one, son after son after son until Jesse runs out of sons. And Samuel says, is this it? Is, 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 it can't be all your sons here. You got another son or something? And Jesse says, well, yeah, listen, there's, there's one more, you know, but he's out roping goats. <laughs> he's, you know, little Davy. I mean, listen, if you weren't impressed by, by these guys, you, you don't need to waste your time. And, and Samuel says, listen, let me stop you right there. Go get him. Go get him. And Jesse, maybe he's like, you know, I, I just really don't know you. If you see this guy, it's not that big. These guys are so big and powerful. And he says, no, listen, we ain't going to sit down until someone goes and gets me that boy. So at this point, the other brothers just got to be snickering because they know David. They got to be going, man, are you, are, you, are, you, are you serious right now? Like at this point, are you, are you, is he really talking about little Dave? Little, little sheepy Dave? Little, little goat poop Davey? Are you, is he really talking about David? <laughs> Samuel says, oh, we can stay here all day. I don't care. Go get the kid. So finally they go get him. And you can imagine David showing up. He's been out in the field, out in the wilderness for God knows how long, living with livestock. He comes in from the field. Maybe he's sweaty. Maybe he's a little out of breath. He definitely smells because he's a teenage boy and they just smell, but he hasn't showered for weeks. So he can only, and you do the math. He's got a little dirt on his face. He's got the little teenager boy mustache. It's about 14 rat hairs, you know, coming in strong. He's, he's not sh- quite sure. You know, you know, teenage boys, their arms are too long for their body and they're not quite sure what to do with their shoulders yet. Maybe he said, what's up, God? <clears throat> I mean, hey guys, what's up? <laughs> Everyone's thinking, you gotta be kidding me. He's cute. He's ruddy. His beautiful eyes. He's, he's a cute kid. You gotta be kidding me. I mean, Jesse might have even been embarrassed at this point. And the Lord says to Samuel, that's the one. That's my guy. Had blown, had to have blown everyone's mind. Samuel pops the cork on the oil, on the horn full of oil, and just dumps it all over David, symbolizing 
God has chosen you. God has set you aside. God has anointed you and God will be with you. And then the spirit of the Lord just goes to work in David's life for the rest of his life. I mean, God uses David to accomplish God's work in mighty ways. David would become the king all other kings would be compared to. And ultimately, he would pave the way for the true king, the son of David, Jesus, the Messiah. There's so much in this narrative. It's so rich. I want you to see these, these three points. Number one, I just want you to see that God isn't impressed by the stuff that impresses humans. Number two, he cares about what's on the inside. And number three, if you have a heart for the Lord, the spirit of the Lord will use you to do the work of the Lord. Number one, God ain't impressed by the stuff that impresses humans. Verse seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance. Don't, the stuff that you can see with your eyeballs on the outside stuff, don't look at that. The superficial stuff, don't look at that. Or don't look at the height of his stature. Height was synonymous with might. We wanted a tall king. We wanted a warrior king, a mighty king, a king that could kick everyone's behinds, no problem. Wanted, and God says, don't look at how tall he is, because I've rejected him, so it doesn't matter. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. God says, I don't care about all the superficial stuff. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care how strong he is. I don't care how tall he is. I don't care about how much he can bench press. I don't care about how much he earns. I don't care about what he's accomplished. I don't care what college he went to, what kind of car he drives, what job title he has, or how many people follow him on Instagram. I don't care. That's the type of stuff humans see with human eyeballs and then therefore value with human values. Translation, God's saying, I don't value the same stuff y'all value. Number two, what does he actually value? God cares about what's on the inside. Look at the last part of verse seven. Where does God look? Not on outward appearance. He says, the Lord looks on the heart. Anytime you read heart in the Bible, it's not talking about your emotions only. It's the center of your being. It's the, the deep place. It's the inner life. It's, it's who you really are. This is, the heart is the wellspring of your, your deepest thoughts, your deepest ambitions, your deepest desires. And that's the stuff God cares about. That's what he wants to get a hold of. That's what he's looking for. And that, this passage teaches us, when all that stuff's right, man, when, when, when that stuff in here is for God, He'll go to work in you, and he'll go to work through you. Number three, if you, if you have a heart for the Lord, this is everyone seated in this room right now. If you have a heart for the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord will use you to do the work of the Lord. Verse 13, 
says, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. This simply means that God's spirit empowered David to accomplish what God wanted him to accomplish. God himself started working through David. And if you get the heart stuff right, God's going to use you. He'll go to work for you. In fact, I believe with all my heart that God is always on the lookout. He's always searching for people who have a heart for him. People will say, God, listen, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters than the stuff on the inside of me being right with you. Nothing else matters, God, but you and what you're looking for. But the $64,000 question is, what on earth was God looking for? What did God see in David? I tell you, you read the rest of the story, you find out it wasn't perfection. David didn't have a perfect record, far from perfect. Not a perfect religious record, perfect spiritual record, perfect behavior record, perfect leadership record, none of it. And David, to say David was far from perfection is the understatement of the century. David would go on to lead a life that was so far from perfect. I mean, he committed leadership blunders. He abused his power. He had multiple wives. His household was a mess. And most notably, his sin with Bathsheba and her husband Uriah was unspeakably abhorrent. Yet somehow, somehow, this mess of a man is called a man after God's own heart? How is that even possible? How, yeah, how does that even make any sense? How was he, he the one? Little, you know, sheep poop on his sandals, dirt on his face, David imperfect, flawed, would mess up a bunch throughout his life, David. What did God see in him? Here it is, three things. Jot this down. One, David knew God well and he loved him. Two, David knew God's word well and he believed it. Three, David trusted God well and he obeyed him. Simple as that. That's the stuff God's looking for in you and me today. A heart that says, man, God, above all else, I just want to know you. I want to know who you really are. I want to know you well. And I just want to fall in love with you. Help me fall more in love with you. A heart that says, God, I hear your word and I believe it. Help me believe it even more. Help me obey it. God, I trust you with everything. Would you let that flow out of me in the form of faith and obedience? That's the stuff God's looking for in you right now. And you want to know how this played out in David's life? Here it is. David trusted God in a way that translated into courage and humility. Courage on the battlefield when it was time to be courageous. On the battlefield, man, David seemed fearless. I mean, the giant is, is just the beginning. He goes on to live a fearless life on the battlefield. And it's, 
insane. You, you think, man, this guy, what, how is he so brazen? How, how, is he, how is he so reluctant in battle? How is, he, how is David such a mighty warrior? How we, here's the deal. It wasn't because David was confident or skilled himself. It's because he knew what God had promised and he believed it. That's it. Right? If God said, David, I'm with you on this, all right? I'm gonna give you the victory. David said, all right, let's saddle up, round them up, let's go. He didn't question, he didn't doubt. That courage flowed out of his faith. That's true courage on the battlefield. And then off the battlefield, now this is important, off the battlefield, it was humility. David had a lot of spears thrown at him throughout his life, but he never picked them up and threw them back at the person. He, because he trusted God so much, he didn't feel the need to exact revenge, take vengeance, to vindicate himself. He knew, God, I trust you. And I know you're gonna vindicate me in front of my enemies. You're always gonna vindicate me anytime it's necessary. If it's not necessary, you won't do it. But if it's necessary, you'll do it. And so he just trusted God. Courage on the battlefield, humility off the battlefield. That's how it played out in David's life. How's it gonna play out in your life? It's a question. And this, this passage, it should absolutely challenge, it should revolutionize the way we see God, the way we see other people, and the way we see ourselves. Okay, this, should, this should change the way we parent. Right? We, should be, we, should, we should be more concerned with raising David's than Saul's if you understand what I'm saying. Inside stuff, not outside stuff. We should value character above academics. We should value God's battlefield over the soccer field. We should battle, uh, value humility over achievement. We should value faith in God over career path. We should value repentance over morality. And we're not trying to raise God, kids who, who never sin. Trying to raise kids who, when they do, they repent hard because they're just so in love with God. That's how it should change our parents. It should change the way we lead and, and the way we serve in, in the workplace and in any arena in life that we lead or we serve in. It should revolutionize it. It should give us courage on God's battlefield that when God says, here's the thing I want you to do, we say, aye, aye, <laughs> no problem, let's go, amen. We should obey God with confidence that no matter what it costs, God's with me. And he never, he never goes back on his promises. His promises never fail. It should give us courage on the battlefield, but it should give us humility off the battlefield. We shouldn't have to position ourselves, exalt ourselves. We shouldn't have to uh, tr sort of uh, um, get the advantage over other people. We, we shouldn't have to try to impress other people, we, we should know, man, God, you're the only one whose opinion matters. You're the only one, and I know you will vindicate me if it's necessary. I know you'll take care of me if it's necessary. I know that all my value, that issue was settled at the foot of the cross. I'm valuable because you adopted me into your family. I'm your kid. I got your last name. I got a seat at your table. That's all that matters. 
Right? It should absolutely, it should revolutionize our, our friendships it, and, and, and probably most importantly, it should revolutionize the way we relate to God and the stuff we believe about ourselves concerning God. Listen, God, he sees on the inside. This is where he looks. Not all this, not all the other stuff. This is, this is where he looks. This is where, what he's concerned about. And he's not impressed by any superficial nonsense, especially not any religious superficial nonsense. So, just be real with God. Don't play games with him. Open, him, open up to him. Allow yourself to be exposed. Pray, God, search my heart. Show me who I really am. Teach me what to do with that information. Here's the deal. None of us can clean our own hearts up. It's impossible. Okay. The Bible is very clear. The gospel message is very clear. This only happens one way, by Jesus going to work in your life. How does Jesus go to work in your life? You turn from, from your sin. You got to turn from who you were, from who you are, from everything that you think, say, or do that God doesn't like. You got to turn from that stuff and say, Jesus, man, I trust you. And you surrender your life to him. You give him control. And then he will go to work in you. He, that is, is the operating table. And then he does the heart surgery. None of us can transplant our own hearts. We need him to give us a new heart. If that hasn't happened in your life, if you're still rebelling against Jesus in your life right now, he is offering you today a brand new heart. He says, just let me put it in you. He, and here's the deal. Our God never runs out of new hearts to give people. Every single morning, he has a new heart for you. I mean, every single one of it. He knew you're gonna be sitting in the exact chair this morning that you're in. But this ain't by accident. He never runs out of a new heart. He says, Brandon, you need a new one this morning? Yes, I do. I barely made it through yesterday. He's got it for you. So if you're rebelling against Jesus, lay down your arms of treason. Pledge your allegiance to him. Turn from the nonsense. Trust him. He'll go to work in you. No matter where you're at, where you've been. Believe me. That's what, where to go? That's, where, that's what this whole book is about. Please stand with me, church. If anyone wants prayer after this thing, I'll be hanging out right here. Come and talk to me. If you're ready to follow Jesus or you just want prayer about something, I'll be here hanging out. Pray with me. God, I ask that by your grace, through the gospel message of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that every single chest in this room would be opened up, every single heart exposed and made new by you, our perfect physician. I praise you, Lord, for the good news. And I praise you. You don't care about the outside stuff. You just care about what's on the inside. And when that stuff's right, you go to work in us. And so God, I pray that we would be a church full of people who desire nothing more than to know you and to love you and to know your word and to, and to believe it and to trust you in a way that flows out of us in faith, obedience, 
that nothing would be more exciting than, than simply doing what our God says we should do. I pray, my, I pray, Lord, for my church. I ask a rich blessing upon them. In Jesus' mighty, matchless, powerful name. Amen. Church, may God richly bless you and keep you this week. Have a wonderful afternoon. We'll see you next Sunday.